This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. Yes, it's ladies' night again. This is episode 102, the ninth part of the history of the six-day races, running as far as you can in six days. In this episode, I will continue the story of the first six-day races involving women, all held in 1876. I would like to thank those of you who have signed up to be a patron for Ultra Running History. Here's a shout-out to our latest Patreon member, Jenna Anderson from Sweden. Please help this podcast by becoming an Ultra Running History patron. You can sign up to contribute a little each month. It'll help this podcast continue. Go to ultrarunninghistory.com member to become my partner. Will do. Now to the story about a six-day women's frenzy. Never on Sundays. Well, sometimes on Sundays. In early 1876, Chicago, Illinois was the six-day race capital of the world. A six-day race frenzy broke out in many other cities after the incredible Mary Marshall versus Bertha von Hillern race held in February 1876. See episode 101. They showed America that not only could men pile up miles in six days, but women could too, even mothers. Both men and women sought to race for fame and fortune, even some who weren't properly trained. There were so many people who wanted a piece of this action that the Chicago Tribune wrote that it would no longer publish challenges unless there was proof that money had been secured for a six-day wager. This new policy was put into place, quote, in view of the extraordinary lunacy which has been lately prevalent among the boys and women of Chicago on the question of walking matches and challenges. A 1876 six-day craze took place, especially among women. At least 12 six-day races involving women were held in 1876. Millie Rose, age 27, the infamous cowhide-wielding, fiery pedestrian originally from England, had tasted some of the exciting six-day race between Mary Marshall and Bertha von Hillern in early February 1876. She immediately wanted a race of her own and found it in Cincinnati, Ohio. There she competed against Anna Matisse, a Canadian living in Cincinnati, who was described as an older runner. The race was held at the Cincinnati Exposition Hall on a track measuring to be 15 laps to the mile. Rose, who had not yet won a race, claimed to be the champion female pedestrian of America. For a surprise sideshow during the race, Rose's seven-year-old daughter, Lulu, walked an impressive 10 miles in two hours and 25 minutes. Wow! At the end, Rose won with 207 miles to Matisse's 187 miles. With that success, Rose wanted more. Just one week later, another women's six-day race was held at Toledo, Ohio. Good. 
Jones took on young Clara Hubbard, age 18, of Chicago. The race started on a Saturday and was scheduled for six and a half days. The event attracted great curiosity in Toledo. On day two, more than 1,000 spectators watched. Running was obviously permitted or ignored because the women were able to clock very fast miles. Hubbard's fastest mile was run in 8 minutes and 22 seconds. On day 5, Rosa's 7-year-old daughter Lulu raced against a 9-year-old boy for an hour. She reached 5 miles in 57 minutes. The little girl with her mother's fire immediately challenged the boy to continue the race to 20 miles, but the boy wisely declined. Crowd control was always a problem during these popular events. During the evening, a local bartender forced his way onto the track and refused to leave. The affair caused a little excitement, but the fellow was ejected in a few minutes and the performance went on. The management took precautions against any such annoying episodes in the future. On day six, Rose had a 24-mile lead and was over 200 miles. In the evening, Hubbard sprained her ankle severely, tripping on a stone that was on the track. It was speculated. There seems to be an opinion that the stone did not come there by accident, but that it was deliberately placed on the track by some mischievous person, possibly with an interest in securing Miss Hubbard's defeat. Rose established a new women's world six-day record of 256 miles. Hubbard quickly signed up for another six-day race, this time in Detroit, Michigan against Anna Matisse, who claimed to be the champion of Canada. Hubbard, despite not winning any six-day race yet, was billed as the champion of America. I guess you didn't have to win back then to be a champion. Both had lost to Rose the previous month. Two hands in the air, I'm a champion. You'll be looking up at me when it's over. I live for the battle, I'm a soldier. The race was held at G's Orchestrian Hall, a popular cafe or saloon and home of the Detroit Opera House Orchestra and Brass Band. The track was six feet wide, covered with sawdust, and was an extremely tiny 32 laps to a mile, the smallest of all the six-day races so far. The competitors were described. Miss Hubbard is a plain-looking person and is apparently very muscular and in good condition. She was attired in a loose-fitting black velvet vest and knee breeches trimmed with silver lace, blue and white striped hose, and stout high-laced leather shoes. Upon her head was a jaunty little cap while prominently displayed is the gold championship medal. Miss Matisse was said to be an elderly person, quite tall and with no superfluous weight. She was attired in a black dress with a skirt terminating just above the ankles, a loose red jacket, a collar and tie of white lace, red and white striped hose, and light leather shoes. On the first day, Matisse suffered an injury to her right foot after getting sawdust in her shoes causing her to fall behind. But at the end, Hubbard was the winner with 249 miles to 230 miles. Sadly, the two only received $25 each for their effort. They complained to the police when their backers failed to pay them the full amount promised. An important pedestrian in the early six-day history who has been overlooked was Henry Schmiel. He was born in Germany. 
At about age 18 in 1870, he emigrated to America and settled in the German-American community in Chicago's north side. He entered the pedestrian sport early in 1874 and competed for at least the next 35 years. His first major long-distance walk was in 1874 at the age of 23 when he accompanied his friend Daniel O'Leary on a walk of about 37 miles. By 1876, Schmiel was a strong pedestrian and ready to compete on his own. Another woman pedestrian came into the Chicago six-day scene. Ellen Wickers of Chicago was born in Norway. She had competed in several walking matches in Europe before emigrating to America. Early in February 1876, at the age of only 18, she began issuing walking challenges for distances between 50 and 300 miles against any woman. She also issued a challenge to walk against any man. Schmiel took up the challenge. On February 27, 1876, their six-day race started in Chicago at McCormick Hall. It was the first six-day race in history between a man and a woman. To win the prize, Miss Wickers was given a huge handicap. Schmiel was to reach 500 miles for $500 and Vickers to reach 350 miles for $250. No woman had yet passed 300 miles in six days and the world record for the men was 503 miles held by O'Leary. Because the race involved both a man and a woman, it was billed as one of the most interesting pedestrian matches ever noted in this city. The track in McCormick Hall was of tiny 21 laps to a mile. Chicago Mayor Colvin, a pedestrian fan, was the starter. He shouted, go, and they were off. Miss Wickers wore heavy clothing, and it was pretty clear that the heavy dresses, hats, and feathers would have to give way soon. Schmiel reached 100 miles in 24 hours, 44 minutes, when Wickers was at 55 miles. His hundredth mile was clocked at 6 minutes and 40 seconds, which obviously was on the run, not true heel-toe walking. He fueled on a large amount of beef and coffee. On day three, a determined Schmiel reached 253 miles, consisting of a dizzy 5,400 laps. The doctor commented that because of all the turns, that Schmiel's brain was in a condition that prevented him from sleeping soundly on his brakes. Wickers reached 144 miles on day three. She shows an endurance that has not yet been surpassed by any female pedestrian in this city. Her splendid pluck and endurance are rapidly gaining the sympathies of the audiences who frequently present her with flowers and bouquets. For day five, the hall was packed, mostly with Germans, to watch their new home country hero. Schmiel reached 404 miles, leaving him 24 hours to cover 96 miles to reach 500, a very difficult task. Surprisingly, Schmiel succeeded, reaching 502 miles in 144 hours, just a mile short of O'Leary's world record. Wickers reached 250 miles, but far off her 350-mile goal. Sadly, in 1880, Ellen Wickers, the mother of two small children and a widow, 
was judged to be insane and a pauper and stopped competing. Sadly, there was a pattern during that era of ruling that women ultra runners were insane. While that same ruling wasn't made of men who experienced wild reactions during and after a race. Unfortunately, with this sport, when success was discovered, others emerged who wanted to pursue a path to fame and fortune and often took shortcuts. In April 1876, a six-day race involving four women began in the West Side Skating Rink in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Milwaukee is where we were before we came here. Working in a brewery, making the final spear. Madame Ferrold of Chicago was the race's promoter. She was a women's rights activist who wanted to show, quote, that a woman's power of endurance is as great as a man's. In the end, Sadie Francis won with 274 miles. An investigative reporter later revealed that the race had been a farce. They walked only when they felt like it, and the time man, who had no watch, manipulated the record at his own sweet will. The receipts were small, and the old lady was hunted down by creditors. After vainly endeavoring to borrow some money from her landlord, she stealthily departed without paying a very large bill. Milwaukee, here I come from Nashville, Tennessee. Madame Ferrold moved on to the Exposition Hall in Cincinnati, Ohio for another six-day race. The soon-to-be-demolished building was thought to be haunted because of a mass grave on site from a steamboat accident killing 150 people many years ago. Many bodies were buried under the floor of the building. The vast wooden structures were described as dingy, gloomy, and grotesque. The weirdest and strangest noises would occur at, at intervals all night, rapping on the ceiling, under the floor, on the doors and windows, and the sound of stealthy footfalls. The contestants for this dreary six-day race added their own footfalls to those of the ghosts. However, the race was a bust and only lasted until dusk because Farold had no money to deposit for the gas in the building, which was used for the lights. With no lights in the haunted hall, the race was canceled. Not to be discouraged, Farold next moved on to St. Louis, Missouri, where she organized a six-day race between two more women. Meet me in St. Louis, Louis, meet me at the fair. They were promised a prize of $500 if either of them could reach 300 miles. It was to be held at Ulrich's Cave and Beer Garden. The building was built above a series of natural cool caves that were used for brewing and storing beer. A rough track was laid down inside the main building, which also contained a 300-seat theater. When the inquisitive reporter showed up, there was no race going on. The proprietor stated that there was a hitch in the financial arrangements. He wanted $25 per day for use of the hall, and all the money in sight was $17. Farold went out trying to raise the $8 needed, but wasn't successful. The reporter concluded his expose news story with, The proposed walking match is merely a novel scheme to gold the public and make money. There can be no doubt. 
parties capable of wagering $500 would otherwise be able to put up a paltry sum for a haul. In June 1876, at Philadelphia, Clara Hubbard competed against a man for six days, Peter Van Ness of Philadelphia, who was a new pedestrian. Toward the end, she fell on the track twice and was only kept going by taking stimulants. Finally, she was removed from the hall, taken to the hospital, and was in critical condition for several days. She recovered, but did not compete again for many months. Mary Marshall and Bertha von Hillern were still the most famous pedestrians in the country. A second six-day match was finally agreed upon to be held at the Central Park Garden, just outside the park in New York City, on November 5, 1876. Normally, the building was used for a restaurant and nightly concerts. Considerable interest in the match was accrued, as both professional and amateur athletes are anxious to see what a woman can accomplish when brought to the post in good condition. In the weeks leading up to the race, Von Hillern trained hard in New York City, and Marshall did the same in Chicago. For many mornings at 6.30 a.m., Von Hillern walked loops around the Central Park Reservoir, totaling 20 to 25 miles without rest. She then returned to her hotel, and after rubbing and bathing, eats a good hearty noonday meal of meat, toast, potatoes, oatmeal, and stale bread. She takes a little gymnastic exercise in her room and goes to the park at 3 p.m., where she walks another 15 miles. Marshall traveled to New York a few days before the race. The track inside the hall, measured by the city surveyor, was a tiny 22 laps to a mile, four feet wide, and covered with soil and sawdust three inches thick. Sleeping rooms were provided for the women on the second floor by a long flight of stairs. They hoped to reach 400 miles in six days. The world record stood at 300 miles held by Marshall. At the start, Von Hillern came out in a brown skirt trimmed with black velvet and a white jacket. Marshall came out in a, quote, tasteful purple dress with short skirts and a polonaise trimmed with lace. Both wore white kid gloves and little derby hats. Marshall quickly took the lead and looked like she was walking with ease. The press tried to explain to New York City how a six-day race between women worked. During the first 24 hours, it is expected that they will take no sleep and will confine their rest to spells of 10 or 12 minutes each. When they come off the track, they will be rubbed by muscular female attendants. They will be allowed to eat beef and mutton, and while they are walking, strong beef tea and oatmeal with milk. At the end of day one, Marshall had 75 miles and Von Hillern 69 miles. By day four, Marshall was walking as if lame, but reached 212 miles. Von Hillern went into the lead, looking much stronger, and reached 222 miles that day. On day five, in the evening, about 500 spectators watched the women walk. Marshall had a severely sore left foot, but still limped around the track 22 miles behind. On the last day, Marshall came out looking pale and halting. She had to retire to her tent frequently. In the late morning, Von Hillern completed her 300th mile, going on to break the world record, and Marshall labored to complete her 278th mile. She was having bad chills and was wrapped in fur trimming. Soon she could barely walk. 
Marshall retired to her tent for a couple of hours and came out without any shoes. But still, she could not move well, and she stopped again and quit the race with several hours to go. Von Hillern continued, cheered on by Marshall sitting in a chair. Von Hillern finished with 323 miles amid the crash of the band and the cheers of thousands of spectators. It was a new women's six-day world record. The two women were carried triumphantly from the track. The reaction around the country to the race was mixed. In Louisiana, Can't someone up there give these lunatics some kind of credible employment in which they can exercise their pedal extremities to their heart's content? In Chicago, a letter to the editor called both women trash and a disgrace to all womankind. In New Jersey, the usual rude comment. We should have been more interested in a talking match between two women than in a walking match. Though it is probable that in such a contest, neither would stop talking until she dropped dead. But others were more reasonable. Von Hillern's success is regarded as a surprising demonstration of the possibilities of women's endurance. It contains a valuable lesson for our girls of the benefits of pedestrian exercise to health. What happened to Mary Marshall, Millie Rose, and Bertha Von Halen in the future years? Mary Marshall tried again to race for six days eight months later in July 1877 at New Bedford, Massachusetts, where she suffered terribly. At times she would hold both hands above her head as if in extreme agony, and many ladies in the audience shed tears of pity. The race committee begged her to stop. But when it was announced that she meant to continue, the large audience applauded enthusiastically, spurring on the fainting woman who could hardly stand alone and was almost carried around the track by men who held her up and hurried her on while they fanned her. The band played The Girl I Left Behind Me. Marshall changed her public name to May Marshall, but then stopped competing for a time because she was with child. She returned in 1878 and continued for several years to perform various publicity stunts, including races against skaters and people pushing wheelbarrows. As for Millie Rose, she continued to compete, often accompanied by her daughter Lulu. At a race in mid-1878 in Pittsburgh, she suffered terribly and took all sorts of stimulating fluids including beer and brandy. When nearing the finish, she utterly collapsed on the track in a pitiful condition. At her next match, she was stricken with an epileptic seizure while on the track. For the next several months, she was bedridden. She had been remarried about a year earlier, and her new husband had declared her insane, left her, and probably took all of her money. The Boston Globe editorialized about her insanity. This should serve as a warning to young women who have a mania for pedestrian honors. But Rose recovered and was back walking in January 1879. In March, she competed in a wager to walk 3,000 quarter miles in 3,000 quarter hours. That's a quarter mile every 15 minutes for 30 days. But after 28 days, she became faint and exhausted. Her husband was back in her life, and he desperately wanted her to continue to get the prize money. He dragged her repeatedly to the track and compelled her with blows and kicks. Right after her Cleveland match, she had her husband arrested. 
She says that he deceived her with a mock marriage, and that he has since treated her with great inhumanity. She also alleges that he endeavored to practice lewd designs upon her young daughter. He agreed to leave the city and never hurt Millie or Lulu Rose again. A week later, he tried to commit suicide by jumping off a high bridge into a river in Cincinnati with a letter in his pocket blaming Millie for all his troubles. A man rescued and resuscitated him, but said he acted like a crazy man. Millie Rose continued to compete with her daughter. Her last known walk was in 1884. Bertha von Hillern was the undisputed woman champion pedestrian of the world. In late December 1876, she did a solo walk for six days in Boston's Music Hall and increased her six-day world record to 350 miles. She continued to compete for 16 months and then retired from walking competitions. She used much of her winnings to support her aged mother back in Germany, wisely saved the rest, and then went to Boston to study art. She worked for the rest of her life as a talented artist. Bertha von Hillern died in 1939 at the age of 86. Pedestrian historian Harry Hall wrote, Bertha von Hillern had gone from being an unknown German young woman who barely spoke English into one of the most famous and richest women in America. She had inspired hundreds, if not thousands of women to begin a fitness walking program. Her rivalry with Mary Marshall had started professional women's pedestrianism in America. Stay tuned for more six-day race history. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances.